Greetings, listeners. We're back with another Dragons and Jive episode. Uh, Herman from Harlem over here with uh, Billy <laughs> from the Bronx, or I don't know my New York <laughs> you know, locales that well, but <laughs> we're firmly set in New York, as most of the Marvel Universe is. And uh, we're back with uh, talking some Luke Cage, some Shang-Chi. And uh, he's gone far afield now, I should say. He's not in New mm-hmm. York any longer. And then, of course, Iron Fist. Billy, how are you doing, man? Uh, not too bad. I'm uh, looking for some uh, suckers that need a beating, and I'm going to shit out when I find them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not going to be disappointed, <laughs> listeners, here, because a lot of folks get their noses bloodied by steel-hard fists, <laughs> by iron mm-hmm. fists, and by you know, the heels of Fu Manchu's least favorite son, uh, only son. <laughs> 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 yep. So it's yep. going to be fun talking about these comics. So specifically, since we're now mm. on episode five of Dragons of, and Jive, we're going to be talking Master of Kung Fu, Kung Fu number twenty, uh, Marvel Premiere number nineteen, starring Iron Fist, and Hero for Hire yes. number five, of course, starring our uh, hero from Harlem, Luke Cage. Um. So. You know, I always get that screwed up now that I mention that, Billy. Like, Hell's Kitchen and Harlem. When I was a kid, I thought Hell's Kitchen was, you know, a nickname for Harlem. I, I don't know why. <laughs> but, you know, Daredevil is based in Hell's Kitchen, right? Or he's mm-hmm. the protector of Hell's Kitchen. Lucas in yes, Harlem. Yes. So, I mean, I, I don't know how familiar you are with New York, but are they adjacent to each other? I mean, these neighborhoods? Well, I am no New York City expert uh, at all, and I've never been to Harlem that I'm aware of. You know, you get lost, you never know where you are. But uh, <laughs> I have been through Hell's Kitchen, you know. Uh, that's like, you know, the very southern part of uh, Manhattan there. So right, right, I have right. been through there at night, too, and it looks a little creepy. Okay, so, well, well, probably not near enough. Because, you know, the only places I... The reason why I might know a little bit of New York is because a long time ago I used to play that Spider-Man game on the PS3. <laughs> which oh, yeah. I think it was Spider-Man yeah, yeah. 3 even mm-hmm. oh man they had an accurate New York there and of course these days they have newer Spider-Man games but I'm, I've am i long since given up gaming mm-hmm. so you know I'm swinging through the city way back when 10 years gone probably and I I sort of memorized every place <laughs> but you know <laughs> I can't remember swinging through Harlem or through you know uh, Hell's Kitchen only the Bronx of course with Spidey being based there at times so yeah, mm-hmm. for fun times though. But but Luke, firmly you know, hero from Harlem, and mm-hmm. of course uh, you know we've got some great stories lined up for you, patrons of the weird. <laughs> so um, mm-hmm. Billy, we're doing the same. We're we're giving a you know bit of details about the issues, and then we'll launch into our synopses, which is our Twitter style summary of each of these issues. And mm-hmm. um, uh, we should mention though before we start that Master of Kung Fu being first on the slate. We skipped an issue, but not really, <laughs> because we've we've done Master of Kung Fu <laughs> number nineteen uh, during mm-hmm. our uh, you know uh, previous Into the Weird episode on our regular feed, mm-hmm. and so obviously now if you want to listen to if you want to do it chronologically and you want to go back and 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 re-listen and and you want to find out where Shang Chi is at the moment, uh, you can do so. But we'll also make it easier for you, right, Billy? We'll quickly give a recap of mm-hmm. issue nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, Shang Chi just foiled Fu Manchu's plans and blew up his uh, shipping tanker full of mimosa, the drug that he's peddling in the states. And uh, he's still on the Florida coast. So 
he's near the swamplands, and we know what swamp creature hangs out in the Marvel Universe in the Florida Everglades at times. And Shang-Chi, <laughs> you know, is trying to escape while his hands are bound from these two assassins, Dekim and Jahar, that Fu Manchu has set on his trail uh, to get revenge on his son for, for you know, uh, messing up his scheme here. Mm-hmm. To to addle the minds of of uh, the folks in the states with the mimosa drug, but Shang Chi himself is suffering from an adult brain <laughs> because he had a whiff <laughs> of the mimosa, mm-hmm. and so he has to deal with these two highly trained assassins while having his hands tied behind his back and while being woozy <laughs> all the time. And then uh, who does he encounter in the swamps, Billy? Well, that would be our boy Man Thing. <laughs> That's right. And then we get that classic scene of. Shang-Chi, obviously, this being a Marvel comic, he has to, even though they're two good guys meeting up, yeah, they have to engage in a bit of uh, fisticuffs. And their altercation leads Shang-Chi to leap and embed himself in the Man-Thing's body. That's a classic scene. <laughs> and then this uh, David Carradine-like character, Su Lun, he shows up. But he's decidedly Asian, more Asian than David Carradine could ever hope to be. <laughs> And he, yeah, yeah, he for real. <laughs> sort of saves Shang-Chi, yeah. So he pulls him right through the mossy form of the Man-Thing and then gives him shelter. Deckham and Jar show up again. Shang-Chi this time bests them, but because of some bad luck, he's almost uh, killed by one of the assassins and then Man-Thing shows up. And then, you know, whatever knows fear, what happens when you fear around the Man-Thing, Billy? Mm. Oh, you're going to get cooked. And That's wow, right. that one panel of those guys. Whoa, that is Oof. so good. Looked like they were having mm. a Southern-style barbecue there with Man-Thing mm-hmm. just killing these two assassins in this conflagration. And boom, mm-hmm. that's it for them. Charred corpses mm-hmm. in the swamp. And <laughs> yeah, then Shang-Chi, uh, you know, goes on his way. And Man-Thing, you know, returns to the nexus of all realities. Uh, mm-hmm. So... um very uh, a fun issue of a Marvel team-up between the Master of Kung Fu and the Master of the Mossy Everglades. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where we pick it up. Now, Billy, mm-hmm. um, uh, I'm going to give some details about the issue. You're going to go first with the synopsis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Master of Kung Fu number 20 was published uh, in 1974, cover dated September of 1974, but on sale June the 18th. And it was a 25-cent cover price, 32 pages, edited by Roy Thomas, and cover art by Gil Kane and Frank Giacoya. Uh, the, the title is one of probably the best story titles in Marvel from the 70s. I love this title. It's also the title of the recent Shang-Chi collection, mm-hmm. you know, the epic collection chronicling the first uh, couple of a dozen issues of his run uh, that's mm-hmm. been recently released, Weapon of the Soul. And and that's the one you have, right, Billy, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I actually uh, have 19, 20, 22. I have a bunch of issues in the 20s, so I have the single issue, too. So I'm checking that out because, you know, I always would rather, you know, prefer to read it that way. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, me too. Um, I do Mm -hmm. crack my Master of Kung Fu uh, comics open more often than others. You know, I I find Mm -hmm. I just love rereading them, but I... Have some of the the omnibi, but the omnibuses is they're very unwieldy for me. I'd rather not take them off the shelf, and I'd rather crack crack open an <laughs> issue, and that's saying something. It's just I got to find mm-hmm. a place to put the omnibus. I have to I put it on a bit of a reading table so that it's at an angle to read. You know, um, mm-hmm. I can't put it on my lap. No way. So yeah. it's better for me to just you know take the old issues out. And mm-hmm. 
You know, the writer here, of course, is again Doug Munch, and we're firmly... Oh, wait a minute. Yep. It's This one's actually Jerry Conway. For oh, me. that's right. Sorry, Jerry Conway. Hey, that Did means... Did a fill-in here. That means uh, for the first time ever, uh, Mike's Amazing World has an error here, because I got my information uh-huh. off of Mike's Amazing World. They say Doug Munch is the writer. Oof. All right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, you're right. In the comic book, uh, which I'm looking at now, of course, Jerry Conway wrote mm-hmm. this uh, fill-in writer uh, at this point in time. But we'll see more of Munch mm-hmm. when we get to Marvel Premiere. And, uh, yeah. So, um, basically, mm-hmm. penciled by Paul Gulacy, this is when he started his legendary run. Well, he started it a, oh, a, yeah. a, uh, an issue earlier. But, you know, we're firmly in uh, his... Uh, well, he's the, the, the master leading us along, showing us all these gorgeous images, right, Billy? Paul Gulacy oh, is a yeah. legend. And then inked mm-hmm. by Al Mulgram, lettered by Dave Hunt, and colored by George Russo's. Okay, and uh, we mentioned where you can find this reprinted in uh, Shang-Chi Omnibus Volume 1, as well as the Weapon of the Soul trade paperback collection. Uh, But Marvel Mm -hmm. has it on um, their Marvel app, and of course, Comixology has it as well. So, Billy, Mm -hmm. what is your summary of this uh, very fun and fantastically (laughs) written and penciled (laughs) issue? (laughs) All right, so Shang-Chi wants peace, but it seems he cannot have it. After two of his father's top assassins were burned alive by the Man-Thing, he's attacked by three men on a beach, but not by the man from Fu, but not sent by Fu Manchu. These are sent by a hood named Danny Marston, who wants Shang-Chi dead, and he ends up hiring a sword-wielding killer named Koran to do the deed. Mm, mm, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That, that's exactly. The plot. Uh, mm-hmm. So not a lot of intricacies here when it comes to the storyline, right, Billy? It's fairly Mm-mm. straightforward. Shang-Chi mm-hmm. is the target of, uh, you know, this Marston guy, yeah. And then he sends mm-hmm. some assassins. So this is not really a Fu Manchu-fueled uh, issue, although there is a tie to to Demi Marston and Fu Manchu a little bit. I mean, he, he wants to get into uh, Fu Manchu's good books by assassinating his son. Mm-hmm. All right, mine goes as follows. Uh, on a Miami beach, Shang-Chi is attacked by scuba assassins and learns that gambling <laughs> King Demi Marston wants him dead. Heading to Marston's palatial floating casino, he rips through a bunch of goons like a gale through confetti and comes face to face with the samurai Karain. Hopped up on Fu Manchu's elixir of life, Karain proves a difficult foe. Will Shang-Chi come out holding all the aces or has he been dealt a bad hand? It's Kung Fu action meets <laughs> Casino Royale. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> Good one. <that laughs> James Bond angle again. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, he's already leaning towards the espionage uh, stories that the series would become well known for. And mm-hmm. um, lots of action again, Billy. I mean, these uh, Shang-Chi issues almost have more action than a regular Marvel comic. <laughs> you know, from the Bronze yeah. Age, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, a, a fight would normally last uh, sometimes pages, almost like, you know, mm-hmm. if you if you were reading a Frank Miller Daredevil comic or Lone Wolf and Cub, you know, where, where mm-hmm. they have these protracted um, battle sequences, which I love. Shang-Chi is similar mm-hmm. to that. So let's yeah. speak about uh, the cover uh, from Gil Kane here and Frank Giacquoi. Mm-hmm. What do you think of uh, about the cover? I like it. You know, mm. it's got a lot going on because there's what, one, two, three, four, five, you know, guys here attacking Shang-Chi, which, you know, you can just tell by the way it looks that four of them are just 
you know, goons, and uh, but the other guy is certainly not. And it says, watch out, Shang-Chi, here comes the death-dealing samurai. So yeah, I like this one quite a bit. Yeah, I'm the same. I think Gil Kane, you know, is really good at drawing these acrobatic-like characters. And Shang-Chi mm-hmm. being one of the most ag- agile of the bunch, you know, that Gil Kane is normally drawing in the 70s here. Uh, he, he does it well. So, you know, I have no gripes with him on covers, as we've spoken about before. I love Gil Kane's covers. It's his interiors that I that I sometimes find weird. But, um, you know, we love weird. <laughs> weird is good. So I don't know exactly why I should have this, uh, you know, dislike of Kane. Uh, but you know, Billy, I like <laughs> the fact that you know, um, it's it's Shang Chi is always shown in these early issues and on the covers as taking on multiple opponents, you know, and yes. um, the, most of the time they're highly trained. I mean, sometimes they're a biker gang, <laughs> you know, like in the very first <laughs> issue. Then he can take on yeah. twenty of them at the same time. But here, you know, highly trained assassins plus a samurai, no match mm-hmm. for our boy Shang. So uh, this is a great a great bit of art here by Gulesi on the very first page. We get these three panels. And uh, even oh. though Shang-Chi looks a little bit awkward there in the, in the bottom panel with that kick, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of find it, a, you know, very satisfying panel, uh, you know, because mm-hmm. of the, the effect of that kick. You can feel there's some real weight behind the art there and that kick yeah. <laughs> impacting mm-hmm. with that guy's, the scuba assassin's mouth. And and isn't that a great first panel where Shang Chi just st- stands on the beach and stares out at the the sun setting in Florida? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. it's great! Yeah, a couple of palm trees, and you know the Miami city there on the far left. You can see a couple of buildings there. Oh, it's fantastic! And like you said, three panels, and the next one you walk in a little bit, and mm. then you see those those goons coming out of the water, and then that third you know panel, which is like half the page, he starts kicking the crap out of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're all real daggers. And now, Billy, this is the reason they lost. You never fight on a beach with flippers. They're wearing <laughs> flippers and scuba suits. Yeah. <laughs> How? I mean, I, I can't even walk properly with flippers, man. Now, these mm-hmm. dudes are trying to attack a master of Kung Fu with flippers. And the first two assassins are taken out double quick, right? Quite uh, easily. The, the one yeah. even kills himself by impaling himself on his <laughs> knife when Shang-Chi yeah. dodges his lunge. And then the second one... Uh, what happened? Oh, yeah, uh, the first one, sorry, I should say, was just kicked in the face by Shang-Chi, so he's down for the counts, probably mm-hmm. dead. PK, yeah, right in the jaw, he kicked him, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, the third one seems more experienced, though. He's waiting, uh, watching, assessing Shang-Chi's skill level, and then he attacks. Uh, but, you know, still proves no match for Shang-Chi. <laughs> he just dodges the guy's jump, and it, this seems to be the go-to sort of move for these scuba divers, to leap headlong at you, mm-hmm. pointing the knife straight, like a rocket, right? Like mm-hmm. that Marvel superhero from Rom that we'll meet soon, uh, Torpedo. <laughs> you remember <laughs> yeah. him? That guy, yeah. Shang-Chi just... He's a goof. Oh, he's a goofball. <laughs> Shang-Chi dodges, um, you know, hits him in the solar plexus and then kicks him in the nuts. <laughs> I was going to say, yep, right with the low blow. Boom. <laughs> oh, but the guy recovers well. You know, he's he gets ridiculously yeah. agile. He lands on his palm, on, on, on his, uh, what is that, his uh, right hand, flips over, mm-hmm. and he's ready for more. He's bleeding from the mouth, though. Shang-Chi just ignores him and folds his arms, you know, and then mm-hmm. Shang-Chi wa- was kind of impressed with the guy's skill level, but then once he starts talking, Shang-Chi <laughs> says he's a fool because he speaks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love mm-hmm. that part. 
So, Billy, what happens then? I mean, this guy keeps shouting at Shang-Chi, I don't like that little man. I don't like that at all. What happens to the poor dude? We'll be back after a quick break. Ever wish you could sip cocktails and discuss great books with your friends while hanging out in a rundown piano bar? Here on the Literary Guys podcast, that's what we do. I'm Dr. Gordon McCallan. And I'm author Zachary Kellyan. Each month, we discuss books from two different views of modern masculinity. From both a gay and a straight perspective. From To Kill a Mockingbird to future governors in the jungle trying to kill a predator. We welcome everyone to join our conversation on the good and toxic of what literature and pop culture have to say about masculinity. So pour yourself a drink and join us now for Season 3. Literary Guys. That's G-U-I-S-E. LiteraryGuys.com. I see what you did there. Oh, yeah. Well, he blocks a couple of punches and knocks the knife out of his hand and then smashes the guy's you know goggles and face in it with a huge punch. And Shang-Chi says, you made two mistakes, assassin. First, you spoke, and this distracted you. Second, you became angry, and this dulled your mind. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's why he, what he referred to when he called the guy a fool once he started to speak. Mm-hmm. It's a sign of weaklings, well, at least in Shang-Chi's experience. And from all mm-hmm. the trainers he's had. So um, that's why Shang-Chi is normally silent. You know, when he says something, it's something mm-hmm. poignant. It's not going to be, you know, these little platitudes like his foes use, you know, are used to saying, to uttering. Yeah. But, you know, it seems that he injured the guy. I mean, obviously punched him in the face and cracked his goggles. And that laid mm-hmm. him down. But it seems like he also in- injured the guy's shoulder somehow with some kind of you know, uh, Gong Fu trick there, you know, when he blocked the knife mm-hmm. or something because he mm-hmm. says he can alleviate the pain and, you know, he gets some information from this assassin who says it's Demi Marston, the casino mm-hmm. king from Florida who sent them after Shang to, to kill him. And then Shang-Chi, yeah. in fact, does relieve the pain with this, uh, you know, I don't know, what is this, chi blocking or, you know, he uses <laughs> some some advanced medi- uh, form of a massage on this guy's shoulder, kind of like Mr. Miyagi in the yeah. Karate Kid movies, right? Pressure points or something mm. to help him out or something. He leaves the pain and the guy just sinks into uh-huh. unconsciousness. Now, Demi Marston's <laughs> ship is called the Sweet Home. This, I don't know if it's actually a yacht. It also looks like kind of like a, a cargo ship or a, or a giant cruise ship, really. Yeah. It's way yeah. too big to be a yacht. And it's got this giant casino inside. So, yeah, it must be like a cruise mm-hmm. ship. So this guy's rich, but he wants to kill Shang-Chi so that Fu Manchu will notice him. So he's informed by one of his, you know, servants that, you know, they failed, the scuba assassins. So he's going to... Buford. Yeah, <laughs> Buford. Yeah, what a name, right? <laughs> Goofball. Yeah, he looks kind of like, um, you know, Mr. Hyde, you know, from, from the Marvel, <laughs> you know... Um, uh, what's what's Dr. Calvin Voorhees? Z- Zabo. Yeah. Zabo. Calvin Zabo, sorry. Calvin Zabo. I was thinking about Jason Voorhees here <laughs> with Halloween on yeah. the mind. I'll say we're getting too close to Halloween. Yeah, yeah you're right. Calvin Zabo and <laughs> Mr. Hyde. He looks like a, a thinner, more more leaner Mr. Hyde with a little bit of Sebastian Shaw in there. This I Calvin was just going to say, one of the people from the uh, Hellfire Club. Yep. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't know what Demi Marston's got going on, but he's got a bit of a Bee Gees look to his uh, <laughs> attire. And then his head looks uh, typical Paul Gulacy, you know, kind of features uh, mm-hmm. or James Bond villain-esque, you know, kind of uh, look. But 
uh, young, youngish, you know, and, and he looks inexperienced. He looks like, you know, Shang-Chi's going to make mincemeat of him, which is, in fact, going to mm-hmm. happen. We're not spoiling anything here. But, Billy, what no, happens no. once his uh, paramour uh, Diana walks into the room? Yeah, this guy's insane. So this beautiful woman comes in, and she says, you know, about Buford, is he God lover? He says, go back on deck, Diana. I'm thinking. She says, couldn't help hearing you, Demi. This kid's got you down, doesn't he? And he says, not now, Diana. I told you I'm thinking. And she starts trying to put the moves on him. And he turns around and, like, cracks her right across the face and, like, busts her mouth open. She says she's bleeding and everything. And he's like, get out. And he tries to act all tough. But then after she does leave, he has this face on. And I don't know if it's supposed to be conveying that, you know, he's, like, uh, you know, sorry for what he did or he just, you know, puts on this tough act, but he's really knows he's a turd or he's worried about Shang-Chi or what, but he has a face on like, you know, there's, there's something not going right here, even though he tried to act all big and tough in front of her. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, exactly why. I think he instantly regretted it maybe because later mm-hmm. on he's going to apologize to her, <clears throat> you know, yeah. for, for hitting her. It could also be that the fact that he said he listens to nobody is not in fact true because he wants to become, a servant of Fu Manchu. <laughs> so he's going to be subservient yeah. to Fu Manchu once his plan succeeds. Maybe that's why he regrets saying that. But, you know, uh, be that as it may, he, he still goes along with the plan to kill Shang-Chi. And to do that, they need this this ultimate samurai assassin called Karain. And they visit him in his little pagoda-like um, island <laughs> structure there that he has. This guy's rich mm-hmm. because he's a, an assassin. And he also has mm-hmm. uh, a successful assassin, I should say. He has some ties yeah. to Fu Manchu as well, as we hinted at in our synopses. So Buford and, uh, you know, uh, the captain of this little speedboat, pro- pro- probably the captain of the, the uh, cruise ship as well, they show up at Corain's yeah. uh, home. And, and what happens? Uh, the first, well, it's <laughs> a, the page. The first page we see Corain is a couple of panels of ridiculous, you know, skill. Now speak on mm-hmm. that, Billy. What does he do? <laughs> These uh, two goofballs like approach him, and he says, "I am Corain," and he pulls this sword out and slices the guy's tie right off of his neck and his shirt open, <laughs> and then just all in one motion, and then drops the sword right into its sheath, like whoosh, all yeah. in one motion. It's great. <laughs> yeah. So don't approach Corain with a tie, man. He hates ties because he's going <laughs> to sever that sucker. And he didn't just, you know, sever the tie. He cut open the guy's shirt as well. And you see Buford's kind of ripped, <laughs> you know, with the mm-hmm. shirt hanging off of him. Mm-hmm. But um, Corain himself, not a traditional looking samurai. I mean, even the sword he's wielding isn't a katana. No. Or, or the, the sword that samurais typically use. Uh, he uh, kind of has this blue and yellow uh, costume-like effect going on with some armor but most of the, his body's bare, and then he's got this traditional samurai-looking helmet. Um, and uh, highly skilled, of course. And they show him the picture of Shang-Chi, and then it ends part one, Weapon of the Soul. And um, mm-hmm. so he's firmly committed to killing Shang-Chi, more of, uh, because it might be a challenge, because they do mention that it's the, the son of Fu Manchu. So I think that's probably yeah. why he took the job, right, Billy? Oh, yeah, yeah, because he thinks he's the best, and he knows the son of Fu Manchu would be a pretty uh, tough opponent. So he's like, hmm, all right. Yeah, and he also probably knows that Fu Manchu wants his son dead, too. 
I mean, the word's yeah. been been out for a while now that uh, Shang Chi betrayed oh, his yeah. father. And then there's this great um, opening uh, page to part two, Poison of the Soul, and I love the lettering mm-hmm. there. And this this is uh, oh, nighttime. Yeah. Shang Chi's stealing aboard the home sweet home cruise ship, <laughs> Demi's uh, yeah. casino, floating casino, by climbing up the anchor. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's awesome, man. And, and listen to uh, Jerry. Oh yeah, Jerry Conway did some good writing here. You know, he says, "Well, yeah." If, what do you if think? You notice if you notice in the issue, part two though, oh, now says Doug Mensch. Okay. So I think you know That's maybe right. maybe mm-hmm. he was only like halfway done, and then you know That's Conway right. did the first part, and then Doug Mensch uh, got in the second part here. But yeah, oh, I love this. It's a gorgeous scene. Yeah, it might be because uh, of some deadlines that they that could yes. be like that they got. Jerry. I would bet money. Yeah, yeah. I, it, I'm surprised they didn't get Bill Mantlo, <laughs> you know, because he's normally <laughs> the pinch hitter. Yeah, but he probably mm-hmm. wasn't uh, available at this time. So, yeah, mm. you're right. This is Doug Munch and not Jerry Conway's words. You're right, Billy. Thanks for correcting me there. And it's great. Do you want to read that to us, That uh, the first? I mean, this is Shang-Chi's yeah. thoughts. This is his direct thoughts he's... we're privy to. Yeah, this is him thinking, it is gray and alien, a cold, hard intruder to the grace and serenity of this, that which it displaces seen here in the silent darkness deeper than night seen here below the tranquil water above the sea it rises and of course you know the panel progression each time you know there's a different word it you know kind of coincides with what shang chi's actually doing as well so yeah pretty cool yeah when he's in the water it, the the panel says water when he's climbing up the anchor it says above the sea and when he uh mm-hmm. you know climbs onto the cruise ship it says it rises so mm-hmm. it's fantastic. And then, you know, he finds these goons having a bit of a drinking <laughs> fest, smoking cigars. Mm-hmm. They're in their holiday shirts there. And he just walks by them. He completely ignores them, <laughs> dripping wet. And the fact that he ignores them angers them, right? <laughs> oh, but, yeah. The one meat, the one meathead. Where does he think he's slinking to? Yeah. They paid us to keep outsiders out. <laughs> <laughs> They're not doing a very good job, man. So um, th- these guys accost Shang Chi with guns, but that d- that doesn't matter to Shang Chi. He just wa- the one guy he takes his head and he slams him onto his knee. So you know the, mm-hmm. the, the he's descending and the knee is rising and meets his face. That guy's down for the he should mm-hmm. be down for the count, but still he's he's up and walking in the next couple of panels, right? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. Shang Chi's faster than their trigger fingers easily, right? He before this guy could blast him away kicks the guy in the face, grabs them. <laughs> while doing that, right, he wraps his arm around the other guy's neck. And uh, a gunshot yeah. hasn't even been, been, been yeah, I mean, heard yet. There's nothing. And that's mm. how fast he moves. Nope. And what do you think he did with the guy that, that he eventually tossed into the ocean? Looks like he's going to kill him there, right? He's about to yeah, give him an a, a open-handed, yeah. flat-handed blow to the neck or something. Yeah, as the meathead saying, Hey, stop this maniac. He's strangling me. He's... And then that's all you see is Shang-Chi like with his arm up like he's going to come down and crush the guy's windpipe and then or plosh into the water and then the other two dudes are laying there dead and the one still had his cigar in his mouth and it's now laying there. Yeah, it's probably (laughs) their guns that he tossed into the water Uh, and the three Mm -hmm. guys are still on the deck. But yeah, they're down for the count. Oh, yeah, yeah. Injured, might be (laughs) dead. You never know. I mean, Shang-Chi, you know, we've mentioned this before. He doesn't mind killing you know in fact he's a trained killer so it probably comes very easily to him and then demi's in the casino pawing Mm. diana and apologizing and then 
some water drips on his hand. And <laughs> Shang Chi's mm. still dripping wet, just standing over him, dripping mm-hmm. on him, and saying, "You are Demi Marston. Why do you wish me dead?" <laughs> so this Demi Marston can't <laughs> believe this, right? So he just excuses himself from the table and then shouts at the top of his lungs and sweat is pouring from his brow, right, Billy? He realizes <laughs> yeah. there's, there's some trouble. It's him. It's mm-hmm. the kid. Shang-Chi. Take him. Johnny. Chino. Chino, where are you? Where the devil? And old Chino's already <laughs> sprawled on the ground. Shang-Chi's already been taking out his, his henchmen <laughs> silently. Uh-huh. <laughs> but then I, I love how in that last panel with the guy laying there dead or knocked out or whatever you see somebody's leg and we know it's uh Karain. <laughs> that's right Karain discovered what well, shang chi's handiwork already so Karain's here mm-hmm. with his uh armored calf <laughs> his armored shin uh but you know that doesn't matter because right now it's demi marston versus shang chi he tries to <laughs> to blow shang chi away but again shang chi dodges a bullet and mm-hmm. then spider-man style right he mm-hmm. just kicks the gun out of Demi's hand and also seems to injure Demi severely. It looks like his arm's been snapped there, you know, at the yeah. angle that it's been twisted at. And mm-hmm. then Karain cuts through the door leading to this part of the casino. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with, with the samurai blade of his. And then mm-hmm. they recognize uh, these. this is the master assassin now engaging the son of Fu Manchu. What do you think about that mm-hmm. splash page, Billy? Oh, my gosh. So good. Oof. It's really good. As he's like busting through this door and like jumping downwards towards them oh it's crazy good oh man it's great and then shang chi knows him so it's great too i like that yeah he says he remembers the man uh an assassin of unsurpassed skill a samurai he was respected in his father's court in hunan and uh, that's why this guy's legend but then shang chi also figures figures something out during the battle as he dodges these twin blades now that corain's wielding Right, he's got um, you know a sword in each hand, and um, Shang Chi, man, I, wow! If I had to pick anyone to fight for my life, it would be Shang Chi, you know, because this guy—it doesn't matter what weapons you bring to the table—he's unarmed. He he'll probably get go out on top, you know, uh, at the end, get out on top because he can dodge sword blades, bullets, um, you know, it doesn't matter. So even though Corain's this master assassin, he's in the prime of his life because of, we'll find out later, the elixir uh, of life that Fu Manchu's gifted him. Uh, But, you know, this elixir has some terrible after effects and eventually it'll also um, affect Fu Manchu. Uh, Because if you take the elixir too much, right, Billy, you become dependent on it and the more you take, the more you need uh, to maintain your youth. And this is exactly now what's what's uh, plaguing Korain. Shang-Chi realizes that this guy must be old as hell because when he was a kid, the guy was already uh, old, you know, in Fu Manchu's court. So that's why he realizes there's something up. And what happens during the battle? Yeah, the guy is, you know, getting ready to go for a killing blow here. And then all of a sudden he grabs his chest and he's like, ah... But then we see he starts turning into like this ancient old dude. He almost mm. looks reptilian. Yeah. And then he says, the, elic- the elixir, must drink the elixir. And then Shang-Chi, of course, is freeing himself because he had been kind of pinned to the wall by one of the swords. And he sees this guy's, you know, basically this guy can be defeated because he's just this really old dude. And, uh, you know, obviously if you depend on that elixir, you know, and then it gives him a little bit of time here to think of a game plan. And then the guy drinks the elixir. 
he comes charging at Shang Chi, and then what happens? Oof. Ooh, okay. This is okay. The, he well, you know, um, the fact that he drank the entire bottle of elixir, you know, mm-hmm. to 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 deal with Shang Chi during this fight. This was too much for his heart, right? But yeah. so um, Shang Chi can even hear the frantic beating of the heart from across the room after he drank that bottle. So his heart's yeah. going to burst. Shang-Chi realizes that, that he's a dead man from having you know, taken that swig of the entire bottle. And then mm-hmm. uh, he leaps at Shang-Chi, obviously meaning to leap over this pool table, or this card table, I should say. But then yeah. he, he doesn't manage it because his heart gives out, and he falls flat on his chest on this card table, and mm-hmm. the, one of his swords goes flying from his hand. And what happens then, Billy? Oh, it goes Oof. right into the like abdomen of... Uh diana and kills her it's awful yeah that is a terrible scene and then it seems that demi really loved her even though he was this uh you know a woman beating scum Mm -hmm. Uh, and he shouts diana my god diana you know forgive me i did it for you you know i knew fu manchu wanted his son dead i thought he'd reward me if i arranged shang chi's death so shang chi just walks away he's like okay you got what what you had coming to you and Mm -hmm. lorraine's dead but he still leaves us with a bit of a thought. He says, uh, in his mind, he thinks, nature has attained a cruel balance. <laughs> Death, <laughs> right? Death has arrived late for one and prematurely for another. You know, so yeah. there is a bit of balance in there, right? Yeah, it's crazy, though, Oof. that panel, man. You see Diana laying there with the sword sticking out of her and then Corrine there laying over the table dead it's pretty bad yeah man that final panel it's it's a scene Ooh. of devastation left in shang chi's wake so don't mess with the son of fu manchu man <laughs> yeah you know, big mistake demi you'll you probably won't make that mistake ever again but he, he might right. if he's if he's stupid <laughs> he might want revenge it's not gonna work demi now this um is a is a terrible panel and it's even more terrible the fact that it's bloodless Right, Billy, we yeah. know that there's probably blood gushing from the wound. They opt mm-hmm. not to show that, but that makes it even more terrible. I mean, there is a little bit of blood at the in the final panel. You know, the black kind of uh, inky kind of blood pooling onto the carpet yeah. there. But yeah. um, the initial, you know, strike of the blade, it just looks like it, it, it went into her belly button. You know, it's like horrible. Yeah, yeah it's rough. Ooh, so a sad ending there because Diana wasn't innocent and... Um, you know, not Shang-Chi's doing, though, because it was Korain. You know, Shang-Chi didn't even deliver yeah, a blow no. that, that caused this accident. Mm-hmm. And uh, then next issue, murder at Marineland. You know, so we see <laughs> Shang-Chi still in Florida, <laughs> still trying to get mm-hmm. back to... But we're going to see more of Demi. You know, he's not going to let it go. You know, Billy, that's mm-hmm. why I'm talking about this guy's not the brightest bulb, you know, uh, <laughs> in the chandelier here, because... Um, yeah, he's mm-hmm. going to be uh, blame Shang-Chi for the death of... Even though it's clearly Demi who caused it. And mm-hmm. uh, you yeah. know what you've got l- to look forward to, patrons, is Shang-Chi versus Jaws. <laughs> 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 well, not... I mean, Shang-Chi versus a giant-ass shark in the next uh, episode <laughs> of Dragons and Jive. <laughs> I mean, we're in Florida. Come on. Bring on mm-hmm. the creature uh, features here. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's going to be fun, right, Billy? Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> okay, this this is a favorite of mine. I love this issue that we just discussed. But we're heading on to another favorite of ours, and that, of course, is Mister Cage, the hero for mm. hire, Luke. All right. So, Billy, uh, uh, do you have the details for for this particular issue? 
Yeah, this one's Luke Cage number five. You know, like we said, uh, from January 1973, and I love the title on this one. Don't mess with Black Mariah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and this one's got uh, our buddy Steve Englehart writing, uh, George Tuska and Billy Graham on art. Mimi Gold Colors, letters by John Costanza, and the cover is by Billy Graham as well. Yeah, old Steve, uh, Steve Englehart here, one of our favorite writers. He dialed it up to 11 with the, with the African-American mm. uh, slang here, right? <laughs> wow. Dude, he must have like uh, gone into Harlem and, and stayed somewhere with some, some, some folks over there and uh, hung out yeah. with them for a couple of weeks and then filled his notebook with his slang because, man, it just comes <laughs> pouring out of the pages. Every single line uttered by every character is some, some form of lingo that you know you you only hear if you you keep watching Superfly on repeat <laughs> over and over <laughs> over again. But mm-hmm. yeah, I love it. So uh, I I'm gonna mm-hmm. go first with the synopsis, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So here we go. Enter Black Mariah. Who is she, and what does this? What is her sinister scheme involving fake ambulances have to do with the man called Cage? Stick around and see Luke take on 400 pounds of jive-talking honey, then get dissed by a horny widow with money to burn. All this and more in this action-packed issue. Can you dig it? And that's it. <laughs> oh, man, it's, it's great. It's great. So what do you have for crazy. This is mad. Okay. The hero for hire gets a phone call for help, but by the time he gets there, the dude is dead. After disposing of the killers, Cage eventually finds out that the architect behind the scheme is a ginormous ton of fun named Black Mariah. <laughs> You've got ginormous ton of fun. I've got 400 pounds of jive talking honey. Yeah, man. We, I mean, that's what she's referred to by Cage. Well, not exactly like yeah. that, you know, but he refers to her in this uh, derogatory way. You're referencing her oh, wet yeah. all the time. Damn. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, it's a great issue. I love it. I love this character of Black Mariah. Of course, she showed up in the Luke Cage uh, Netflix TV show, but she wasn't... You, they opted to not make her, of course, obese, which was the, a good decision. You know, I think it's it, it plays to right, a certain yeah. stereotype, which is which is reprehensible. Uh, but, yeah. you know, hey, I mean, the blob is a giant fat white guy. I mean, you know, I'm overweight. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not... You know, I, I'm just saying, you know, that if they pick a character uh, that's this memorable, uh, even though she might be memorable for the wrong reasons, uh, I'm going to read it mm-hmm. as a product of its time. <laughs> that's what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for, you know, for 1973 here, it's just, you know, that's not, this wasn't like a, a big deal. This was just like, haha, funny. So yeah, yeah, we yeah, don't yeah. think it is now, obviously, but in the context of 1973, you know, it was. So, yeah, but it's just crazy even to think about because this woman, it's not like she has any powers or anything like that, or she's a super villain or anything like that at all. She's just a schemer, and she's huge, and she's really strong because she That's throws right. around a couple of her lackeys in this too, which is hilarious. I love that scene. Yeah, I want. I wanted to call her the the black female version of the kingpin, but she's not, you know, Billy, because this scheme of hers, <laughs> this is a very low rent kind of um low level yeah. on the the totem pole when it comes to crime scheme here fake ambulances that take rich <laughs> folks away before the real when they're injured before the real ambulances arrive and then they they mm-hmm. pick the pockets of the rich folk clean them out and then dispose of them if um, you know just just let them die or 
you know, um, yeah. and, and even get the keys from them and, uh, you know, to their homes rob their and rob house. their house. So they're Businesses, doing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're doing quite <laughs> well for themselves because we see later on that Black Mariah and her crew, they've got a parking lot full of sport cars. You know, they've mm-hmm. got lots of, um, you know, TVs and, and, and high-end furniture <laughs> in this, this warehouse <laughs> where they have their HQ. So it's it's lucrative. It's just not kingpin level, of course. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. But in the Luke Cage Netflix TV show, Billy, they do present her as a kind of like a, a black kingpin. Hmm. You know, she has that high level of That's power. Cool. Yeah, she's also a politician, uh, but she's also got her, her hands in the criminal pies. So mm-hmm. a fantastic issue. And then, you know, I should mention, if you want to read this, you can do so by uh, reading it in the Power Man uh, Marvel Masterworks Volume 1, Essential Luke Cage Power Man Volume 1, or Luke Cage, the epic collection called Retribution, which was released, I think, this year. And um, that's how, you know, uh, I'm reading it at the moment. Uh, I don't have the original issue. I do have the Masterworks, but I also have this mm-hmm. uh, Retribution trade paperback. And since it was, you know, on the shelf nearest to me, um, yeah, you know, I just grabbed it off, and it's 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 a nice way awesome. to read it. It's great, yeah. Oh, this opening scene too. The Ooh. guy that called Cage is getting the crap beat out of him. I think they kill the guy right there because the guy takes a lead pipe and smashes him over the head with it. They do. And Cage walks in and yeah, and sees it going on. He <laughs> just grabs one guy and tosses him aside like a child. And the other guy, he looks at him and says, "Put it down, pipe man." <laughs> <laughs> pipe man. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> Oh, man, it's a great opening scene. I mean, basically what's happening on the... Because this is in DW's um, uh, cinema, in the theater, uh, Mm -hmm. where Luke's supposed to meet this guy on the deserted balcony level. And um, this guy who who phoned him, this this African-American dude. And as this Mm -hmm. guy with the lead pipe is killing him, we see on the screen a frontiersman, uh, you know, killing an Indian soldier killing an Indian yeah. uh, brave, uh, Afri- uh, what do you call a uh, Native American brave with... Pistol the, whipping him. Yeah, pis- yeah, with his pistol, yeah, with the butt of his mm-hmm. gun. Just uh, So it's, it mirrors that image. It's great. And yeah. uh, Luke arrives, and of course, uh, this this even though they've already hit this guy with a lead pipe, this other goon is still pounding on him. And yeah. then Luke just tosses him over the balcony. Or, or not over the balcony, <laughs> over this, the, the, the row of seats. <laughs> this this yeah. goon that's, yep. that's wailing on this, this dead guy. This guy was mm-hmm. dying. And then the guy with the lead pipe hits Luke full on the head. Nothing happens. Um, no. <laughs> just clud. And Luke just takes a fist, a steel hard fist to his ribs. Oh, man, that's great. Mm-hmm. And then he slaps oh, yeah. the guy for, for good measure. <laughs> Luke. And we know how powerful Luke's <laughs> yeah. slaps are. I mean, he almost killed the the prison guard, Rackham, with just a slap. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so. then that other guy comes up creeping up behind him with a knife. Oh he yeah, tries to stab him. Yeah. Now look at this, Billy. Again, the slap that Luke gives to this guy—it's mirrored by the the soldier on screen taking yeah. out another cowboy. <laughs> so first he takes out an Indian. <laughs> so what are we watching? The Lone Ranger here fighting this this uh, mean uh, uh, special forces type frontiersman here who's taking out Tonto <laughs> first and then the Lone Ranger. I don't know what we're watching here, but um, you know. Um, Luke says, you know, uh, the guy with the knife is going to be handled with a minimum of sweat. <laughs> mm-hmm. He clobbers that guy, too, smashes his teeth out, it looks like, and the guy goes through a wall. 
than yeah. head out into the, the audience of the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, because of the violence on screen, the the patrons of the of the movie theater they haven't noticed anything uh, yet. But with Luke putting the full force of his super strength behind this punch, it seems like because he also rips the guy's clothes as he punches him through the railing on the balcony mm-hmm. and uh, towards the screen. This guy must be dead, man. Probably, right? I yeah. mean, he's, he's punched by Luke at full force, and then he flies over the balcony. And, um, you know, that that's a great panel, too. Fantastically mm-hmm. well, penciled awesome. by George Tuska and Billy Graham there. Yep, great job. And then, uh, you know, uh, Luke finds the wallet on this dead guy that hired him. He finds his card, and DW shows up, and, uh, you know... Um, uh, it's a mystery because why did he, after all, why did he phone Luke? Why did he want to meet? And what does it have to do with these two goons who tried to kill him? Whom I'm yeah. pretty sure is dead, Billy. Both of them must be dead because nothing further we, is said We of don't them. see them again. Yeah. Yeah, we don't see them ever again. And you feel that they're part of Black Mariah's gang, I think. So I don't know. Yeah, and the cops don't even show up. I mean, there's no hint <laughs> of the cops. They're just they're completely ignoring the trouble in Harlem uh, mm-hmm. in this issue. And then, you know, uh, Luke wants to use the payphone. Uh, and this one uh, informant of Black Mariah, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. he's, uh, now here yeah. we get some heavy slang. We're getting heavily into the slang. I mean, Luke toned it down when he spoke to DW, to the <laughs> white folks. But when, once he hits the, 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 the black streets here, man, he dials it up to, to a very high number here. Uh, and this goon says, keep on rapping, bro. Looks like somebody handed me a chance at some bread. And there ain't no easier way to it than tipping Black Mariah. And then, <laughs> you know, Luke uh, hits to the payphone. He finds this goon talking to uh, to Black Mariah. And he leaves. And then Luke phones the lady, uh, you know, the who, the number he found in the wallet of the, the dead man, who's this uh, very, attractive, yeah. very attractive, very oh, yeah. attractive uh, uh, African-American woman. Yeah. woman. And she um, oh, is yeah. upset because she learns that her, her lover, Frank, is dead. And, mm-hmm. uh, oh, Lord. So, obviously, Luke has to meet up with her at one point in time. But he's, again, when he leaves the theater, accosted by this scumbag reporter, right, Phil Fox from the Daily Bugle, who's who's dogging mm-hmm. his steps. He just want, doesn't want to let it go. He wants an expose on Luke. And then mm-hmm. um, Luke, uh, after the phone call, returns to DW and said, where's the body, man? And then uh, DW says, the ambulance came and got in cage. And Luke's like, what? But the ambulance never takes away a body before the cops had a look at it, right? Mm-hmm. So there's got to be something yeah. wrong here. So he kind of like goes off on DW here, right? <laughs> yeah. But and then yeah, he, he flips he, out. Yeah. So then he runs, tries to catch up to the ambulance, but it's long gone. And then Frank's um, wife, I think it is, right? Not not his not his yeah. uh, girlfriend. His wife shows up, Mrs. Yeah, Jenks. No, Mrs. Mrs. Jenks. Yeah, no. Yeah, and mm-hmm. then she says, "I like to see my husband," and he. Luke delivers the bad news because up to this point in time, Luke was not sure that Frank had bit the dust. He wasn't sure that he's dead. I mean, I mean, yeah. he suspected, uh, but because of the injuries he sustained, but now he he knows for sure, and he he lays it on uh, Mrs. Jenks, and she's upset. And then she yeah. she says, uh, you know, whatever he wanted to hire you for, Mister Cage, you know, now I'm, I want to change the deal here. I will I will pay you. Uh, what Frank promised, but I want you to to find out who killed him and why, you know. And then Luke doesn't want to take the yeah. money; he just wants to find out really who killed this dude now. But you know, he says, "Fine, if she insists, he will take the money." After all, he's the hero for hire. But I think uh, Doug Munch doesn't want it to seem that Luke's too greedy over here. You know that he's doing it. He, he wants to, to yeah. so, so, show that he's got a hero's soul. 
So Luke Cage is out for blood, right, Billy? And then, <laughs> then we get the introduction to possibly one of the greatest uh, Luke Cage villains ever. What happens? Here we go. Well, the ambulance starts going into this abandoned-looking building, and you hear somebody inside say, like a greased baby and a herd of pigs. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell does that mean? <laughs> that never saw anything easier. Yeah, man, what a haul. Dude got to have some fine spare change. Where's Black Mariah? And the other guy says, oh, man, what do you want to rattle her cage for? The fat old cow's eating up half our profits. And just as he's saying that, she comes creeping behind him and grabs him and tosses him up against the wall like 10 feet away. That's right. And she's she's wearing the silliest looking dress, Billy, with this <laughs> massive chain of pearls. It's this red and, yeah. uh, and, and yellow yeah, number whoa. with this flowery yeah. hat. And she just clobbers this guy with a sweep of her fist. Clud, he flies towards the windows. <laughs> and uh, she says, old Mariah never cause you young ones any grief. <laughs> and then <laughs> I see I've given you chillin' good years, ain't I? And you surely ain't the kind to badmouth your aunt Mariah after. <laughs> she speaks in this this very stereotypical way. With, with it Doug almost Munch sounds like, like she's from, like, you know, uh, Louisiana or something like that to me. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what Doug Munch took for inspiration. Some, uh, you know, he probably rewatched uh, Gone with the Wind or something. What was her mm-hmm. name? Uh, Percy, played by Butterfly McQueen. Oh, classic uh, character, great oh, crap. Movie. Yeah, great Hollywood roles. Name, but yeah, <laughs> and um, uh, I don't, I don't know. But yeah, she speaks like that, like you say that she's from from down south, and then uh, she finds, you know, she's got a watch in her hand, or probably a Rolex or something. She's got like a, a wad of cash, and then we see a kind of a view of the warehouse, and we we learn about their scheme. You know, she just runs over it for our benefit. You know, just reminding these chillin who she just chastised that you know they should be grateful for the scheme she concocted with fake ambulances picking up rich folks who are injured before the real ambulance gets there and then we see all the the swag that she's got these sport cars you know the the tvs Mm -hmm. the typewriters the 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 fridges the rifles (laughs) i don't know she's got a lot of stuff from rich folks homes and then to emphasize her point she says get back get your lazy tails back to work you ungrateful punks and she just takes a fist to this desk and turns it into kindling. Crack. <laughs> yeah. She's not screwing around, man. She's ridiculously powerful for a mere human. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Cage. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. Is she like a mutant or something? Like you said, like almost like the blob or something like that. Because the blob's just not a big fat guy. He's actually a mutant. No, no, no. He's super strong, immovable. Yeah. No, I'm. I, she doesn't have any superpowers per se. She's just like a kingpin-esque uh, you know, villain. Marvel in that time thought, you know, huge fat people were super strong. <laughs> you know, if they could carry around that bulk all day. That's that's what Marvel just... Uh, that's just what they thought, you know. Not with the blob, but definitely with the Kingpin. I mean, uh, the Kingpin, though, is more believable than Black Mariah because, you know, he's had, like, martial arts training, you know, and, yeah. and stuff like that. You see him in the Daredevil comics and in Spider-Man 2 doing that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, here, Black Mariah, man, she's something else. And then um, mm-hmm. Cage shows up to get some information out of this uh, this informant he knows. Uh, it was this, uh, you know, just a waiter working in a, in a restaurant. And he's called uh, uh, Flea, right? Flea. Yeah, Flea. <laughs> and Cage is going to use him a couple of times during his run, you know, for, for information. Because Flea knows the words on the streets. Mm-hmm. 
And of course he wants to get paid for the information, but Luke's smart, he's savvy, right? Flea says, okay, I'll make it worth your while for 50 big ones. I'll tell you what you need <laughs> to know about these fake ambulances. Uh, and check out this warehouse on 17th near 11th, um, you know, and then Luke says, okay, you'll only get your money if this tip is actually worth something, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah, Cage so is no dummy. Yeah, he's no dummy. He gets nothing. I mean, obviously it is worth something, this tip, but Cage, you know, he, it does pan out, but he's still not going to pay the guy up front. No, you know, no, the guy's not going to make him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So now we get to the, the, the fantastic part of this comic, right, Billy? Luke shows up at the warehouse. Mm-hmm. One of the flunkies oh of Black Mariah spots him. And Black Mariah calls everyone to her side. She gets them all ready for an ambush as Luke enters this warehouse. Mm-hmm. And, well, speak on this battle, Billy. This is some fantastic stuff. Yeah, he comes creeping into the warehouse. And if you remember, it's, you know, it's dark out and there's no lights on in there or anything. So one dude has, like, I don't know, like a two-by-four or something like that and smashes him over the head with it, which, of course, doesn't do much. And he just punches this guy and knocks him back like you know, 10 or 15 feet. And he says, what's shaking, baby? Not expecting my body to burst your to bust your club. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the, the guy who, uh, who, who was witness to that punch. You know, the he's goon sweating. says, yeah, he's sweating. He says, geez, I can't fight that. He'd put distance between me and my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he starts to kind of lure cage over to the middle of the room and there's another dude up top and there's this giant crate that's roped to the like one of the beams so that guy cuts it down and it comes out and smashes cage and he says you dirty (laughs) yeah sweet mama what was in that crate the empire state building (laughs) (laughs) now this crate was filled Mm. with some pretty heavy machinery right it probably weighed a couple of tons and it fell right on top of luke but he's fine just his shirt's all torn up like it usually you know, gets during a Luke Cage issue. And then they mm-hmm. they use this heavy beam as a battering ram, three of them, and run straight at Luke and hits him in the face with this battering ram. And he's mm-hmm. seemingly laid out, right, Billy? But we, we soon realize Luke's just playing possum, right? He wants to mm-hmm. pull a fast one on Black Mariah and her crew. So they take the unconscious Luke to her, but he was just playing unconscious, right? So he, he yeah. wakes up twists his one guy's arm and then uh you know uh, another guy tries to stab him but before he does that and he swings this guy into this uh i don't know what it is but it looked like he swung him into a tire a stack of tires or something and then his fist heads right for this one guy's face right high speed (laughs) boom that guy's dead too billy don't tell me that guy's not that, that that guy's still alive I mean, but he smacks him right in the face, and there's almost an explosion of force. This guy goes flying around the room, topples into this uh, stack of uh, of appliances, and then Luke doesn't stop there. He picks up this heavy, I don't know, piece of machinery and hurls it at these two guys, and it mm-hmm. explodes. Trafoom! Yeah. Now, okay, those guys might not be dead, but they're seriously injured. You know, unlike oh, the one guy. Yeah, yeah, he just punched. That guy's definitely dead. And then mm-hmm. we get to the, the good stuff, Billy, because now it's Luke Cage versus Black Mariah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! This is a mm-hmm. mean, mean woman here. And she's pulling out a gun on Luke. Bang, pow, wham, crack, bam. That reminds me of some Kirby uh, gun effects, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it does nothing. It, doesn't, it does nothing to him. And her response is, 
you still standing? My boys heist me a pea shooter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's, it's cool. And then Luke is heavy on the slang here. He says, don't understand it completely myself. You know, but when I got my mass increased, skin hardness tagged along, slugs just bounce. And then, um, uh, you know, once he mentions mass, Black Mariah says, hey, you mentioned mass. I've got you beat on that score. And she says, mass means weight. And if you're talking weight, cage, I got it. (laughs) (laughs) What does Luke think there, Billy? This is, oh, man, this is funny. Engelhardt, where did you get your lines from, bud? Mm -hmm. You know that panel. He says, sweet sister, ain't much for hitting women. But if that whale gets me down, she'll do me dirt. <laughs> <laughs> so he crossbody blocks her. And uh-huh. he says, like, my man Butkis is going to have to get it. Funt. <laughs> this is like <laughs> referring to a football player, right? And oh, then, yeah. You know, she, uh... he, you know, basically she collapses st- straight through the floor. Brack, coom. And then as she falls to the, the lower level, Luke says, he thinks that is one big mess of female. <laughs> but she notices he won't like fight her, like punch her or kick her or anything like that. So she says, you won't raise a hand to Mariah, huh, boy? I sure am happy to know that about you. Looks like your parents done right raising you up. And then he's like getting kicked. Then she kicks him in the face. That is probably the craziest panel in this whole yeah, her <laughs> kicking him in the chin and then thunk and this the, the, the layers of of lard hanging off of this leg that George Tuska and Billy Graham drew. It's it's insane, <laughs> right? It's insane. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's then, wild. And Luke seems phased, you know, he's he's definitely groggy from that kick, and then she charges mm-hmm. his shoulder charges him into the wall. Ka chow, mm-hmm. you hear me, boy? <laughs> Only fools die for <laughs> ideals. And then Luke says, That fat honey. Must tip in at 400 pounds. <laughs> Got it all over me there. <laughs> if my body weren't so tough, I'd be mince pie. <laughs> yep, and then he just basically has his Popeye moment. I couldn't handle no more. So Yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, he, he's he's going to fight back against her, which is hilarious in its own right. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, how does he fight back, Billy? He's still being chivalrous here. She charges him again, but he just sort of steals himself. For the blow, mm-hmm. and then she bounces off of his chest, and that hurts her because you know this is basically like charging a steel wall, uh, uh, and she got hurt. She she basically clutching her stomach there as she flees from him, and she. Well, I think yeah. it, it looks like he she when she came running in, it looks like he raised his right knee up and hit her in the stomach. Oh yeah, kind of looks like yeah, right. And, and he and he says, "Let her do the exercise and and the moaning." <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Uh-huh. Oh, I feel it for Black Mariah here, right? Because she's definitely now, <laughs> you know, she's 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 been injured seriously, probably. Mm-hmm. So she runs for it, and then yeah. um, she she can book because um, oh, yeah. she's booking across this uh, dock. And Lute says, "Shoot, stumpy legs still can pump. <laughs> she gonna make it." <laughs> and she jumps in the speedboat. But Luke's not letting her go. He goes all Spider-Man-like and swings from the rafters on this dock. Mm-hmm. And then he leaps from this, um, what, second level of the pier? He, he leaps yeah. straight onto now. We know Luke weighs 300 pounds. So since he's got the height, this is believable. He, you know, plunges down on top of Mariah's speedboat. And like a mm-hmm. seesaw, 
you know, throws her into the air when, once this boat collapses into the water. Mm-hmm. And she's in the water. And then we, we, we don't see more, but presumably the, the cops show up to arrest her because uh, now she's, she's waterlogged, she's stuck, she has no means of escape. And she says, mm-hmm. Cage, you son of a sow. And he says, <laughs> Button it. You float real good with your lard, lady. But I'll be happy to come over and dunk you once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, the very next panel just shows Cage striding through Times Square. Or, or well, obviously, this is the, the Harlem Strip. But it, it mm-hmm. almost looks like the way it's painted looks like Times Square. And these hot this hot babe just ogles him because, after all, he's shirtless, uh-huh. steel uh-huh. hard muscles on full display. And then, you know, uh, Flea shows up. Cage, where's my bread? <laughs> and he refuses to pay him. Cage doesn't, yeah. you know, even though his tip turned out to be good. He said, your tip wasn't worth any more than a donut hole. What? Mm-hmm. Come on. <laughs> I mean, come on. Flea did you a solid there, Cage, by giving you the address to that warehouse, right? You know, he tries to, like, go around it and say, like, oh... You know, you gave me the wrong address because it was like, you know, the next building over. And it's like, uh, come on, dude. You can leave, well, give him 25 then. <laughs> Put you in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, technically, Flea still gets his money. But now this this next scene is crazy. Mrs. Jenks shows up and mm-hmm. she's more than willing to pay Cage. But damn, she can't keep her eyes off his muscles, right, Billy? Look at that. Yeah. And she even hesitates when she speaks to him, right? She says, Mr. Cage, yeah. is, is that you? I, uh, uh. And then she is clearly drawn that she's, you know... You got her eyes locked on his on his pecs, and she says, oh, "I uh, c- came for your report uh, on my on my husband." <laughs> you know, and Cage just <laughs> still got his eyes on Flea here, and mm-hmm. uh, Flea acts Cage's agent. He says, "That'll yeah. be fifty bills, lady." <laughs> yeah. And then Mrs. Jenks is upset. She says, "He said no charge," and mm-hmm. and and Flea just says, "He didn't mean it. Cough up, cough up the money." And uh, cool out, Flea, says Cage. But now Mrs. Jenks is already hurt. She thinks Luke isn't a man of his word. She tosses the money in his face. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, even though she was amorously inclined towards Cage here, even just with her husband dead, what, just a couple of hours dead, uh, Flea gets what he wants. He get his, gets his 50 bucks, and, and Luke just says, Hero for I or her, what a dandy mm-hmm. racket. Yeah. <laughs> and then I love it. Yeah, she calls next. him a snake. What's next, Billy? That is a brilliant title. Read that for us. Next. Knights and White Satin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Uh, I love that title. Yes. Obviously, Knights written to with a K. And instead of mm-hmm. Knights in White Satin, like the classic song. Mm-hmm. This is yeah, Moody Blues. Yeah. Moody Blues. Oh man, mm-hmm. I love that song. This is mm-hmm. Knights and white satin that's going to be good so another <laughs> great issue to look forward to and the funny one oh. is it, it actually features a knight that luke uh, luke's gonna battle <laughs> but hardly hardly any white satin though unless you want to use white satin as the um you know the metaphor for a pretty you know a caucasian lady who's <laughs> sort of in the next issue there's no mm-hmm. white satin to be had <laughs> so i no. don't know why it must be slang for a, a pretty white lady, right? Yeah, I mean, and it's the uh, it's a, a Christmas one too, so look out! Ooh, yeah, sweet Christmas, <laughs> a sweet Christmas issue. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Emily, I enjoyed this thoroughly. You know, this Luke Cage, these Luke Cage issues are really contenders 
you know, oh. um, when it comes to to picking a favorite for Dragons and Jive every every month, because oh, I oh almost, gosh, yeah. I mean, I I love the Shang Chi. You know, I'm Shang Chi first and foremost. But damn, these Luke Cage mm-hmm. issues want to steal the first spot on on the list here every every damn time. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. I've been more leaning towards the Shang Chi's, but uh, this week might be different. I should say this week, this episode might be different. Yeah, just that because was so got, much fun. It's got Black Mariah. Yeah, I'm. I'm <laughs> this is definitely at the top of the list this week. For the first time, I think Luke Cage is going to take the top spot from Shang Chi here. Mm-hmm. And then you know we were hitting straight on to Iron Fist. Now you can definitely see an improvement in this Iron Fist issue, Billy, because now we're getting to we're, we're introduced to one of the stalwarts. The uh, you know, supporting characters in Iron Fist's mythology, if you want to call it that. And that is, of course, um, a lady I've been in love with since I was a little kid, Colleen Wing. And in fact, Misty Knight, which we'll we'll see later on. I'm, I mean, we've already seen her a little uh, in the in the Bronze Age at, at this point in time. But she's also going to be one of my long, uh, you know, uh, love affairs in my head, at least. <laughs> you know, Misty Knight and Colleen Wing. The double yeah. act that they have together in the Iron Fist comic. I just I just love those two ladies. But yeah, Colleen Wing shows up. So now the Iron Fist mm-hmm. uh, stories are getting more interesting. Okay, but Billy, it's my turn, right? To give mm-hmm. some details on um, this issue of Marvel Premiere. Specifically, this is issue 19. And um, cover dated November 1974. On sale August the 27th, 1974. Uh, cover art by Jim Starlin. And inked by Al Milgram. And mm-hmm. the title of this uh, story is Death Cult. Writer Doug Munch. And we just saw Doug on Master of Kung Fu. Um, and, uh, you know, well, okay, he didn't do the Luke Cage issue. But we, we, basically we're doing Doug Munch twice every time we do Dragons and Jive, right, Billy? He was penciling. Yeah. The, he was the, choi- the, the choice uh, writer for these kind of uh, martial arts style issues. Okay, so mm-hmm. we've got Larry Hama penciling again, Dick Giordano inking him, lettered by Raymond Holloway, colored by Jan Brunner. Jan Brunner? What? Is that mm-hmm. Frank Brunner's wife? Can yeah, it be? I'm not sure. I, I saw that as well, and I was like, what's going on here? And I thought, I, I have no idea. Okay, we have to do some more <laughs> research on this. Um, expect some, some more on this uh, during the next issue of Dragons and Jive Patrons, because, damn, I want to find out more about that. It seemed that every... Other, I mean, Roy had Dan Thomas co-writing his wife sometimes, and uh, what uh, Bill Mantlo, you know, had Karen Mantlo <laughs> doing some mm-hmm. some lettering. What everybody brought their their wife or girlfriend along. I mean, Steve Gerber, Gerber had Mary Screens. <laughs> you know what was happening here at Marvel? <laughs> yeah, who knows, right? <laughs> yeah. So if you want to read along with us, you can do so on the Marvel app, or you can do uh, so uh, with the Iron Fist Masterworks Volume One. It's also been collected in Iron Fist's epic collection, The Fury of Iron Fist trade paperback, um, mm-hmm. and The Essential Iron Fist Volume 1 trade paperback, if you're up for some black and white awesomeness. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I really dig this car- cover by Starlin, Billy. Um, so, But before oh, we yeah. get into the cover, maybe I should say we should do the synopsis first. Okay, Billy, what do you have for the synopsis for Iron Fist in Marvel Premiere 19? All right, after leaving Meacham Industries... He's met in the streets by Colleen Wing. Her father sent him there, sent her there to bring Iron Fist to him and tell him about the cult of Karakai. Iron Fist then gets ambushed by a group of assassins, but then he is aided by a mysterious ninja. Yeah, the same ninja that helped him out in the previous issues. 
and the same one mm-hmm. that murdered Harold Meacham. And we're mm-hmm. going to find out uh, this ninja has strong ties to uh, Colleen's dad, Professor Meacham. I'm not going to give any... Uh, any. Oh, sorry, Professor Wing. I'm not going to give mm-hmm. anything away yet. But yeah, it's 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 kind of freaky once uh, we learn the true origin of this ninja. Um, so uh, my synopsis goes as follows, Billy. Uh, now, the number one suspect in the murder of Harold Meacham, Danny meets Colleen Wing and her father, the Professor, who are plagued by the death cult of Kurakai. A conversation with Joy Meacham leads to Danny walking into a trap in an abandoned arcade. He squares off against multiple assassins, but he's again saved by the mysterious ninja, whose calling card this time around appears to be a bloody newspaper heralding a manhunt for Iron Fist. So, uh, a more enjoyable issue, I'm, I'm sure you'd agree, Billy. What did you think uh, overall of the story and, and the art? Yeah, I like this one a good bit. This is my, uh, my favorite so far. Yeah, you know, me it's, too. It's, uh, it, it's definitely the best effort so far. I think, you know, Doug Mensch and Larry Hama and Dick Giordano here are, are uh, starting to uh, get the wheels turning real good. And, you know, good story, good dialogue, good artwork. I really like it a lot. And I like in this one, too, how... Uh, you know, some of these uh, assassins that uh, Iron Fist ends up fighting at this uh, abandoned uh, arcade, um, they they give him a run for his money. And it looks like they're going to, you know, kind of lay a bit of a beating on him before the uh, ninja shows up to kind of give him a hand. Yeah, he ultimately gets out of that scrape, you know, on his own. But it did really seem like he was on the ropes there. Yeah, literally mm-hmm. on the ropes because they had him <laughs> strung up there. Uh yeah, but uh, uh, I should amend that though, Billy. I'm I'm still gonna pick a Marvel premiere number fifteen as my favorite. You know, the origin of Iron Fist, one of the great origins of Marvel and the Bronze Age. You know, um, I'm this so this is my second favorite Iron Fist comic of the run so far, because damn that origin story was pretty damn good. You remember the one penciled by Gil Kane and yeah, uh, you know yeah. the where you know the mom and dad perish and the wolves chase them down. Oh, that's a great origin. Yeah. But uh, then we had three or you know so weak issues, and now we've got this this issue coming along. So yeah, definite mm-hmm. improvement. And uh, mm-hmm. Jim Starlin on the cover, man, I love it when he draws uh, you know martial arts. I just I just yep. dig it. And, and obviously he's one of the creators of uh, Master of Kung Fu. Yep. Um, so he excels at this type of action scene. Shang Chi taking out three assassins, and then the mm-hmm. ninja lurking in the background. But it seems that the ninja is is holding. Uh, you know, a foil, a fencing foil, you know, one of the fencing swords <laughs> rather than a katana or something that he, uh, and, he's supposed yeah, to. Yeah, and he's, he's not in all black either like he is in the, yeah, he's the, got the, red, the comic, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so a little bit of discrepancy there on the cover. But, you know, I'm loving the corner box art with Iron Fist there. I love the lettering mm. on his, uh, his logo. Marvel Premier yep. featuring Iron Fist with these uh, bolts. You know, rivets, um, yeah. rivets, sorry, soldered in on the edges mm-hmm. there. It's amazing. Yep. And then, you know, yep. it opens with uh, some pretty good Larry Hama art on the splash panel of the first page oh, yeah. where Joy's still vowing revenge, Iron Fist's leaving. And then in the background, um, we see, of course, Oof. the dead Harold Meacham with the sword still impaling him to his wheelchair. But mm-hmm. the, the, the wall mural, it's not the wall mural, obviously, this is a yin yang symbol, but it's. A very um, you know uh, twisty kind of uh, effect. Uh, it it looks almost mm-hmm. like the yin yang's melting or moving, right, Billy? In mm-hmm. this um, 
this this weird yeah. color scheme that they have it's, it's fantastic and then death cult written above it as the name of the story i love this first opening uh page what do you think mm-hmm. oh yeah oh yeah it's really really good um and uh what's her name there it looks really hot too joy Mitchell. oh man she is <laughs> yeah. she's very very pretty and very alluring oh and my but gosh, she scolds yeah. him she said I love the way that her words that she picks here. She says, that's right, Mr. Flashy Iron Fist. Crawl away. But no matter how deep a hole you squirm into, I'll dig you out and make you pay for murdering my father. <laughs> Mr. Flashy Iron Fist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's pissed. And then she calls up uh, uh, her, was it her uncle? Yeah. And, her, and brother, her brother, her brother. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. No, sorry, sorry. It's uh, her uncle Ward. Yeah, she she says your brother's dead, Uncle Ward. Yeah, it's you're right. It's mm-hmm. uh, her uncle. And that guy, I guess, had you know, Meacham kind of had a contingency plan if this was going to happen with his uh, brother there on uh, how to deal with Iron Fist. That's right. That's right. And um, you know, he's he's obviously got a lot of uh, plans. You know, he um, he says evil as Harold Meacham, presumably. Um. And he promises to help her out. And then we see Danny in the street. It's raining. He's met by this lady with an umbrella. And, uh, you know, she she says, listen, um, you know, uh, I'm Colleen Wing. And, uh, you know, I've got some clothes for you. Uh, because, you know, after all, you need a disguise so the cops won't arrest you. And she hands him this fedora and this coat. <laughs> and she says, <laughs> before she gives him the clothes, she says, you look like a harlequin. What? Yeah. Um. Uh. Not. Not really. No. <laughs> I don't know what kind of Harlequins Colleen's used to. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of a bizarre response. It's a very bizarre <laughs> line there from her. And then she hails mm-hmm. a cab. They climb in the cab together, you know, and they. Um, you know, the taxi driver is very rude. I mean, Colleen gives him the address, Riverside Drive, 111th Street, driver, and he's just, you know, like, scoffs at her. <laughs> and then she starts talking to him about her father and uh, why she's helping him. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. gratefully accepted her help. He he was a little bit suspicious in the beginning, but then just, I mean, it's probably because of her looks. <laughs> because Colleen is a beautiful lady, right? Oh, I'll climb into a yeah. car with her, whether she wants to, to take my life <laughs> or not, I, I don't mind. I'll follow her to the ends of the earth. And, and then uh, she starts telling him in the cab ride over to her house about her father and that he knew Wendell Rand, and he knows about Danny and Kung Lun, and you know, and everything basically. And um, she says her father's a great man, but he's in trouble. You know, he's being plagued, plagued by the death cult, cult of Kurakai. Mm-hmm. And then now this is really weird, Billy. Right when they arrive at Colleen's home, I, this this scene is almost too strange to be believed. Two assassins from Kurakai attack Iron Fist. While Colleen is walking right in front of him uh, mm-hmm. and unlocking the door to her home, and he yeah. blocks their hurled daggers with his with his gong fu mastery, and then they were also sporting umbrellas. He the 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 daggers are deflected back into the umbrellas by Iron Fist, but then mm-hmm. they, the Kurakai assassins just fade; they just disappear. They're, there's there's mm-hmm. decidedly Indian, you know. Um, Middle Eastern, yeah. Indian-looking type assassins. Uh, yep. And then they vanish. And Colleen Wing didn't hear a thing. She doesn't yeah. know what happened. And, you know, she's a highly... <laughs> we'll find out she's highly trained in the martial arts as well later on. But she, she's probably not... She doesn't have the sense of unagi, which is this uh, 
awareness about her that that martial artists need because she didn't didn't even hear a whisper of this attack and iron fist doesn't say anything about it to her <clears throat> and then we we get to meet professor wing mm-hmm. and uh you know he's a, st- a student of uh you know uh, eastern myths and uh and he mm-hmm. knows all about kung lun and yeah. um then he discusses his uh you know archaeological digs in Asia with Iron Fist and how they found this book. Um, now, Billy, we know that this is impossible. You can't find a perfectly preserved book uh, under underneath the ground. It would crumble into <laughs> dust. Yeah. No, it's impossible. And um, the, the the diggers who were with him warned him that there would be a curse on the book. And in mm-hmm. fact, that's when he discovered this uh, this 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 book. That's when he became a target of the Kurakai cult. And they tried to assassinate him that very night, but he had a gun handy and just blasted this guy. <laughs> you know, so yeah. Professor Wing can take care of himself, huh? And well, he's that's, no dummy. Yeah, he learned from that book, though, that the uh, the city of Kung Lun exists. So he went into the Himalayas, you know, to... Uh, he was in India digging at the time, so he left India and went into mm-hmm. the Himalayas to, to find out if this legend of Kung Lun was, was true. And he met the monk called the Tempa, who was di- dying from a rock slide, and the Tempa told him about mm-hmm. the city of Kung Lun. And uh, at, we we met the Tempa in a previous issue, right? Uh, the last issue, in fact, yeah. you know, where he was admitted yep. to Kung Lun and uh, briefly mm-hmm. stayed, and he saw Daniel Rand being trained by Lei Kung, the Thunderer. And um, oh yeah, and he also knew the story of Danny Rand, uh, you know, the little boy seeking, possibly going to one day grow up to seek revenge against the man who murdered his parents. And, you know, he, before he died, he told this entire story to Professor Wing. <laughs> yeah. You know, now, Professor Wing, of course, and Colleen Wing, they're of Japanese descent. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we can see they're drawn to look uh, Asian. And, um, uh, you know, that's how Professor Wing got to know about Iron Fist and how he knew exactly where Iron Fist would be, uh, you know, after 10 years. Because he knew that Iron Fist would leave Kung Lun after 10 years of training to get revenge on Meacham. That's why he had Colleen meet him outside of Meacham Tower. <laughs> so very, I mean, <laughs> wow, this guy must be, I don't know, an astrologer or something, or not that astrology oh. works, it's, it's, it's BS, but I mean, he must be really good at calculating, you know, probabilities or movements here. <laughs> he, he puts he puts the clock king to shame. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> wow, if this guy turned to crime, oof. <laughs> it would take someone even better than Batman to, to catch him. Uh, but, you know, uh, Iron Fist decides to accept the help from Professor Meacham. And um, uh, then, but he's, uh, oh, well, I keep calling him Professor Meacham. Professor Wing, for God's sake. And he wants mm-hmm. to talk to Joy Meacham. So Professor Wing just said, okay, if you want to smooth things over with Joy, why don't you just look? Look her up in the phone book. <laughs> and that's when Give her can, a buzz. Yeah, give her a yeah. buzz on the phone. <laughs> and Iron Fist feels very uh, unfamiliar with the phone because after all he hasn't used one in ten yeah. years. No. And he yeah. dials up Joy and Joy says, Oh, uh, all right, if you want to talk, meet me at this arcade on forty second street. Now we know this is a trap. Professor Wing warns Iron Fist against this. Uh, and he says, you'll need a subway token to get there, kid. And he tosses him a subway <laughs> token. <laughs> and then Iron Fist takes off. And uh, then, of course, uh, Joy Meacham sets the, the murderous uh, pl- plan in action here that she's cocked up with mm-hmm. her uncle. Um, and they send these assassins to meet Danny at the arcade. 
Now, Billy, uh, at first, when where Harry enters this uh, Shades of Westworld, you know, the movie with Yul Brynner, because when he <laughs> enters this arcade, this cowboy draws on him, right? And, uh-huh. and Iron Fist just reacts, <laughs> punches this cowboy in the face, and it turns out this was just a fast draw, uh, you know, automaton. A game. Game, yeah. yeah. And uh-huh. uh, he punches, this, it breaks the neck of this this uh, this puppet or, or this mannequin. And then yeah. he's accosted by four highly trained assassins. We've got two guys uh, sporting size, like Electra style, mm-hmm. and uh, two sporting these uh, um, hook hooks on these uh, lengths of rope that they're yeah i mean they're obviously trained in in the use of these instruments so billy speak about this yeah one end has just like a grappling hook on the end of the chain and the other end has i can't remember what the name that is that's some kind of uh ninja weapon i think Uh, it's definitely a a legit weapon i've seen that before yeah 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 same and i can't think of what it is but but yeah they all four of them like they're again they're pretty tough so they all try to come at him at once, and he starts to do pretty good here in the beginning, but then, you know, they end up getting a drop on him, and the two guys with the uh, chains or ropes or whatever, and the grappling hooks, they both uh, get them around each of his arms, you know, and they're, like, pulling each way, kind of like, almost like in a crucifix-type position, and then the other two guys with a sigh are coming in from the opposite ends, and they're going to try to, you know, do them in, and then we see uh, right outside this room, there are three more guys waiting and he, they say, oh, it looks like we won't be needed after all. And then, huh? And they turn around and that ninja shows up again. And he takes all three of them out, like, in no time flat. I don't know if he kills the one or two of them, though. Yeah, it probably does. I mean, he's killed, you know, multiple times before. So he does. Yeah. I, I mean, he slashes this one guy with his uh, with his uh, katana. Uh, the guy yeah. who first blocked him with a chain. He, he also slash this other guy across the chest now it's bloodless mm-hmm. as it's as it's drawn here but i'm pretty sure those two guys are dead and yeah um, i don't think they're alive no iron fist is more merciful though he escapes from from being caught between these two uh assassins you know who have uh pinioned his arms with these ropes but he's strong enough to pull them you know batman style i've seen batman do that multiple times right billy when he's in right. that, that situation he pulls the the ropes together and you just you know the two guys collide with each other and then uh, you know they headbutt each other and they're out and then he leaps over those two guys in the center and kicks the the other two side wielding assassins in the <laughs> face a oh, split kick yeah fantastic <laughs> panel the uh, progression of panels there by Larry Hama mm-hmm. and so yeah. he he's face to face with the ninja again and the only thing mm-hmm. the ninja does to communicate he he's he's mute or something he's world wordless he tosses a paper, a newspaper that he uses to wipe the blood off his blade. That's why I'm thinking he killed those guys, right? Yeah. His blade is all bloody, bloody, but he wipes it clean with this newspaper and tosses it at Iron Fist. And Iron Fist reads the headline, Iron Fist sought in Meacham murder. And this huge blood splatter on this paper. And the ninja leaves. And uh, what do we get next issue, Billy? Batroc's brigade. Aha! <laughs> Batroc, Captain America villain, Batroc the Leaper. Oh, he's a mm-hmm. perfect foe for Iron Fist. Let's see how his skills stack up uh, to Iron Fist's. Um, that's mm-hmm. a great issue, actually, Billy. A lot of fun, you know, and it, it's uh, this time we, the, the writing team will change next next issue, I should say. Uh, yeah, Tony I was just going to say a whole, mm. whole new creative team here. Tony yeah. Isabella, Arvel Jones. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, man, it, it's, it's fun, and it's... Um, 
uh, totally different look to Iron Fist, and I kind of liked it. I just didn't like the coloring on that issue. They they screwed up his uh, his green a little, but it's still fine. There's yeah. lots of action, lots of uh, Batroc style uh, shenanigans going on there. You know, we're used to seeing some weird. I mean, I love the way Kirby penciled Batroc fighting Captain America. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, this is very very Kirby inspired action panels. Even though the arc doesn't really look Kirby, but the anatomy is all over the place. So I guess it is a bit of Kirby in there. <laughs> <laughs> so lots yeah. to look forward to there, patrons. And uh, really, that brings us to the end of another Dragons and Jive. But before we say goodbye, let's pick our favorites here. Mm-hmm. Okay, first off, favorite cover, and then we'll do favorite issue as a whole. What was your favorite cover of the bunch? Well, this is going to be a clean sweep for me. I have to go with Luke Cage number five just because of <laughs> the character on the cover. Dude, there you go. Uh, That's I, I can't. I, I have to. <laughs> that cover is legitimately great. I mean, we've got fantastic action on the Shang-Chi cover and the Iron Fist cover, but no real, um, you know, jaw-dropping image that, that, that is, you know, sort of that blows you away. But the Luke Cage mm. cover with Black Mariah showing up there and Luke oh my sort gosh. of beating off her goons there, but his shirt is ripped. And I just love love the way George Tusca draws Luke Cage. It's amazing. And then Black Mariah lurking mm-hmm. in the background. How can you not pick this cover? <laughs> it's just... <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's the best. And, and Luke Cage is also my favorite uh, corner box art at, at this point in time. You know, I like the Iron Fist. I dig the Master of Kung Fu immensely. But um, right. this, this Luke Cage is just that iconic image of Luke just shouting up at the man standing mm-hmm. there in the, in, the, in the corner box art. So, yeah, definitely, mm-hmm. really, I'm in full agreement. Now, let's get to our favorite issue. Oh, easily, it's Luke Cage number five. It, it, and I love Shang-Chi. And, again, I even said, you know, Marvel Premiere 19, it is the best so far, you know, uh, the uh, Iron Fist. But I, I just can't. Luke Cage was just so funny and hilarious. I love the, the the way it's written, and then the artwork was really good. I thought it was really on point. Fantastic. No, no, no. I'm also going to go for the Luke Cage issue. We're in full agreement here, Billy. But I'm not going to say it's easily Luke Cage like you did. This is definitely mm-hmm. uh, very close. You know, if I had to give Shang-Chi a, a score out of 10, I'd say 8.5 out of 10. Luke Cage would be a 9. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so very, very close. But... Uh, Luke Cage yeah. for me as well, just because of Black Mariah and because of the the, the, the <laughs> far out jive talking slang that, mm. that Engelhardt brought to the table, and then of course the the fantastic art by Tuska and and um, you know Billy, Billy Graham, Graham just bringing it yeah. every single issue, and Luke Cage is just you know looking better and better, mm-hmm. and also the weird funny moments that are inserted here, right, Billy? I mean Iron Fist <laughs> has has almost no funny moments, whereas uh, no, uh, no. Shang Chi has some funny bits but it's more tragedy in that issue you know with the death of right. diana and then luke cage though it's got everything it's got tragedy in the form of mrs jenks's dead husband it's got the funny mm-hmm. bits with with the the ladies all ogling cages uh, steel skin bod <laughs> and then of course black mm-hmm. mariah brings <laughs> the funny but also mm. you know she's just a big bag of mean and uh, mm-hmm. you really feel like luke had his uh, work cut out for him dealing with that um that jive talking honey <laughs> So uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> amazing! How could you not pick that issue? Lots of fun. Okay, so yep. Billy, we're, we're going to thank our patrons again for supporting us and uh, making this show possible. Thank you guys for, for mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, stay, sticking with us, and we always appreciate that, of course. And we'll be back, you know, in a month's time with some more dragons and jive. 
but look mm-hmm. for House of Licensed Ideas episode five, as well as Radio Free Hyboria episode five, which will be available in the month of October, mm-hmm. in the first week of o- yep. October, um, same mm-hmm. as this this episode. Mm-hmm. Okay, Beliso, I'm gonna bid everyone farewell, and uh, you too, uh, my brother, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we'll meet up again in the mean streets of Harlem or on the beaches of Florida. Or in the shark tanks of Florida, I should say, uh, when next we, we get together again to record another Dragons and Drive. Mm. So that's it for me. All right. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>